It's wonderful to be with you all again. Um, uh, this will be my third time, by my calculations, uh, that I've had the privilege of coming here and uh, delivering God's Word to you. Uh, let's stand together as we uh, turn to God's Word and read from it. I invite you to open your copy of God's Word to Psalm 69. Psalm 69. Uh, we are going to read the entirety of this. This is a longer text, uh, but a beautiful one. Psalm 69, uh, to the choir master, according to lilies of David. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal must I now restore? O oh God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me, O oh Lord God of hosts. Let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O oh God of Israel. For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the talk of those who sit in the gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me or the deep swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O God, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul. Redeem me. Ransom me because of my enemies. You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food. And for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. Let their own table before them become a snare, and when they are at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see, and make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your indignation upon them, and let your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents, for they persecute him whom you have struck down, and they recount the pain of those you have wounded. Add to them punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. But I am afflicted and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoofs. When the humble see it, they will be glad. 
You who seek God, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah, and people shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of his servants shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. And then if you'll turn with me to Romans 15, our sermon text, you'll note that this text cites Psalm 69 as well. Romans 15, verses 1 through 7. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Please be seated. What are you willing to sacrifice for the good of those whom you call brother and sister? To what lengths would you go to befriend or to benefit a church member who has different opinions than you do? As Christianity spreads across the ancient world, believing Jews and believing Gentiles in the city of Rome are being brought together. And inevitably, when two vastly different groups get together, there's bound to be turmoil and issues to work through. Each group brings their history, their culture with them, and and sometimes they clash. Yet, there is power in the gospel to bring such differing groups of people together. As Paul writes to the church in the great city of Rome, he encourages them towards a, a humble and patient relationship as they learn to live with one another. As they learn to truly love and care for one another. Even as some of us come from affluent homes, poor homes, some come from Christian homes, some not, from a loving home or a home filled with anger and strife, some come from the south, from the north, from the east and the west, some from rural, some from urban, some from suburban. And perhaps part, in part because of these backgrounds, we, we all come with, with different opinions. We all come with things that are more important to us than other things. What some of us see as vital and and uncompromising, others see as secondary. They could give it or leave it, take it or leave it. So with all these differences, with all these things that, that, that mark us even in this room tonight, how easy it must be for us to be divided. How easy it must be for us to battle within ourselves. But... If a church remains passive, 
if a church remains apathetic and, and disinterested in one another, the, the tensions that are, that are, that are there, the, the differences that, that bring forth tensions will grow, and, and over time these can damage the love and the relationships within the church. And the damage that is done to these relationships will greatly diminish our witness, and it will greatly diminish our ministry. We must do more than just tolerate one another. For bare tolerance truncates the ability of the church to glorify God together. So how can we maintain unity? How can we maintain the unity of the church even when we differ on secondary things? Or perhaps more honed in on our text, using sort of the language of the text, how is the church to deal with the shortcomings or the, the failings of the weak, those less mature in faith? How are we to treat one another? Surely, and this is our sort of our thesis for the sermon this evening, surely we ought to walk in step with the love of Christ by giving of ourselves for the good of others. The Spirit addresses each and every one of us in this text, strong or weak, exhorting us toward love, patience, and humility in our relationships with one another. For the great example, and indeed the great motivation of every single believer, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so we'll break up our text tonight into two sections. First will be the exhortation, and the second half will be the example. First, let's take a look at what Paul is calling the church in Rome to do and, and the Spirit thus calling us to do. In handling the, the tensions within the Roman church, Paul, Paul speaks of these two categories, these, this category of the weak and the category of the strong. And, and, and specifically, he's addressing this section of the text to the strong. He's, he's built his argument up until this point. All of chapter 14 is really built up into the, the beginning of chapter 15. Um, and, and, and as we read about what does it mean to be weak and what does it mean to be strong, we, we might summarize what he says in, in, verse, or in, chapter, in, cha sorry, in chapter 14. And, and simply what he says is that, is that those who are strong are those who have a clearer understanding of what the Bible does and does not require. The strong, as he identifies them, are those who have a, have a better understanding of, of what, the, what God says we are to do and what we are not to do. Those who are weak, then, are, are so because they, they do require in themselves or in others, and in others, should I say, uh, those things which the scriptures do not expressly require or reject. These so-called weak are still learning of their own and others' freedoms in Christ. These aren't areas that are particularly sinful. That's important to note. That's, Paul's not addressing areas that are, that are uniquely sinful, though we can certainly make them sinful in our attitudes towards one another. But the, the, the actions and the things that he identifies in chapter 14 aren't in and of themselves sinful. Things... Things you can, you can read of this on your own as well, but, but things that he points to are things like eating meat, which had been sacrificed to idols, or, 
or holding up certain days as more holy than other days. Feast days. Uh, in modern times, perhaps some hold up the day of Christmas or Easter as more holy than another. But all of these issues really look a little bit different in our time. Not just Christmas and Easter. They, they, they look a little different, but the list is as long as we can imagine. There are so many ways that we look to, there's so many different areas that people can look to in these secondary matters, these matters of opinion, this, this adiaphora, we might use that word, and, and they look to these things and they make them more than they are. So you can certainly come up with a longer list than this, but just a few that, that perhaps top the list in some of our circles. Oftentimes people will make schooling options something that is an issue of primary importance. Uh, perhaps not in our circle particularly, but others might argue with the use of alcohol or its prohibition. Some might argue for gas or electric vehicles or vaccines, whether to do a holiday service or the kind and amount of musical instrumentation in, in worship. Again, that's a small list. And none of these issues are in and of themselves moral. They're not things like coveting or like theft or murder Adultery. Paul says that, that it's the weak who view these kinds of matters as universal issues of right or wrong, of clean or unclean, holy or sinful, and, and the weak then end up judging those who have a more mature understanding of these matters as areas of Christian liberty. Now, a quick caveat, as we, as we speak of these two categories of the weak and the strong, we're often quite tempted to only identify ourselves with one of those groups, I'm sure. And I would imagine it's probably not the weak. We can probably imagine so many other people who we might want to identify in that category. Those ones over there, they're the weak ones, and I'm not in that category. But I don't think Paul is being absolute here. I don't think what he says is that there are those, of those, there are those individuals who are 100% and absolutely strong in every category. Because I think we're all prone, each and every one of us, to taking things, taking our pet issues, taking, taking the things that are important to us, and elevating them higher than what God's word requires of others. I think each of us, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, if we, if we consider and take stock of the things that matter most to us, and we hold it up against how the Bible views those things, I think sometimes we can be honest and we can say that we hold things a little bit higher uh, in other ways than the Bible does. And so I think the point is, is that, that all of us, in different ways and in different areas, can be in each of these categories. There are those of us in some categories, who we can say are strong. You have a clearer Bible understanding of what God does or does not require, or where, God, or where the Word of God is silent on a particular issue and allows freedom. And there are those of us, and all of us, sorry, there are all of us that have areas that we are weak. There are areas that we, again, we want to take and we want to make them the issue of our church. We want to make them the issue that we are to, to deal with. Our whole lives are going to be devoted to this particular issue because this is the most important issue. When Scripture doesn't give us that kind of emphasis. And so we all, we all can fall into both of these categories. But 
But, but the Bible, but, but this text is clearly pointing to those who are in the category of the strong, okay? So, so as it's talking about the strong, thinking of those who have a clear Bible understanding of what, the, what are matters of opinion and not opinion, even in the category of the strong, there are temptations to act in ways that are distinctly not Christian. And that's really what Paul's getting after. For the one who is strong, for, for the one who's more mature in one area or another, the temptation is either to crush the weak into submission, my way or the highway, get with the program, or it's to be entirely indifferent, a, a, a sort of not-my-problem kind of attitude. I think as Paul addresses us in this text, neither approach is acceptable. Neither approach Either the my way or the highway approach or the not my problem approach is acceptable. He says, rather, we who are weak have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Paul begins his exhortation to the strong by placing before them their obligation to their weaker brother or sister. He says that they should have a particular attitude, a particular behavior for the weak. Well, actually, he, he, of course, he says more. He says, that, that, he says it's an obligation. He says it's something that's owed to the weak. It's, it's something that, that the strong are obligated to do for the sake of their weaker brother or sister. It's not something that's, that's merely nice to do. It's the strong are indebted to bear the failings of the weak. That is, that is to simply to say they're, they're to carry the weak in their weakness. Now, perhaps the language in, in translation here gives us the idea that, that this is a sort of uh, uh, kind of just agonizingly tolerating the irritations of those who have issues. Maybe that's sort of the, the, the feeling we get when we read this. It's kind of just like, nah, okay, all right, I'll just kind of throw this weak person on me too, and I'll just kind of suffer through it, deal with it, whatever. Um, but that's really not in the sense at all. Because mere toleration is not love. Mere toleration is not love. Paul says that the way the more mature in faith are to deal with the less mature is not to be self-seeking. It's not to stroke one's ego. See how mature, see how strong I am. It's, it, it's not supposed to be either some sort of self-satisfied box that we check. Did my good deed for the day. Suffered through another conversation with that person today. Nor should our actions merely be to placate the weak, so as to bear as little of their weakness as possible. The kind of love that Paul describes here is much more positive. It's much more forward-moving than that. The strong are to carry, to help the weak, actively working for their good. Effort is involved, searching for ways to serve and love. The strong are, are to promote their welfare. They're to build them up. They're, they're to edify them. And this really just goes totally against how we think and feel as sinful people. Utterly against our sinfulness. Because we want to hold on to what is ours. We want to we cling tightly to our rights. And never give them up for anyone, especially not the weak. Maybe we'll suffer through that conversation. 
But when it's done, it's, whew, thank goodness that's over. Yet here the, the Spirit commands us, each, each and every one of us, to use any strength that God has given to us, any strength at all, for the spiritual embetterment of others. Not to use our Christian liberties carelessly, but to be willing to love, even sacrificially, if it would be for the good of the other. Now, it may very well be that sacrificing something isn't necessary in a particular situation. But the question is, are you willing? Are you willing? Are you willing to lay down what is yours, even what is rightfully yours, for someone else? Are we quick to serve? Are we quick to lay down? Or do we hold on tightly? This is the exhortation of the passage. To love the members of the church even to the point of self-sacrifice. For this is the example set for us by Christ. And this is our next point then, the example. Our second point is the example. In verses 3 through 7 of this passage, Paul turns the exhortation and, and, and then focuses our attention on Christ himself. Indeed, he mentions Christ by name in all of every single verse except one in this, in this section. He says, As Christ did not come to please himself, but, but gave up what was rightfully his as the Son of God, so also should we. Christ, in a sense, sacrificed the glory and the honor that was due to him to be ridiculed, to be mocked, to be reproached. And in citing Psalm 69, as we read, the apostle is making sort of a, a kind of lesser to greater argument. If Christ was willing to be mocked, or a greater to lesser argument, sorry. If Christ was willing to be mocked and reproached and killed by those who hate God, all for the sake of his people, then surely we must be willing to give up something far less valuable than the honor of Christ for the good, to benefit a fellow believer. And this is nothing new. Nothing new at all, Paul says in verse 4. For all that has been written in the former days, think Old Testament, was written to teach us today. It was written to teach us about the hope that we have in Christ. And, and even as it teaches us, the scriptures that they give to us by the Spirit, the endurance and the encouragement that we need to face every difficulty, it's difficulties both inside and outside the church. So Paul offers up his prayer for us in verse 5. Let's read verse 5 and 6 together again. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God himself is the, is the source of endurance and encouragement in our faith. And he offers both of, us, both of those things to his people, especially in the context of this passage, as they interact with one another. And boy, do we need it. It's our tendency to, to, to want our own way. Perhaps, perhaps even the way that we want is the better way. It's the more wise approach. It's the, we think it's the better way to think about things. But we do those things, we pursue our way, even at the expense of others. 
And then, when we, of course, when we don't get what we want, we often become offended. I mean, maybe I'm the only one, but we become offended, we become judgmental, we become harsh. But instead, the, the inspired word says to us that we ought to have the same mind as Christ. Not that we share the same opinions about everything. That's not the point, clearly. From all of chapter 14, it's clear that, 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 that he's not saying that you should share opinions about every single matter all the same. Or that we're to somehow give up our unique giftings. Or, or, but rather that we're to think of one another as Christ thinks of us. Having our hearts constantly and increasingly designed and shaped to look more like his. Shaped into the very image and likeness of Christ, who is our great example and our great guide. And how did he, how did he show that to us? How is, how is he is our, our example? What did, what did he demonstrate about how we're supposed to love and show, show kindness towards one another? Well, he showed humility and patience, even when he was being persecuted. Paul articulates this so, so wonderfully and so poignantly in Philippians chapter 2, where he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So, so rather than selfishly clinging to what rightfully belonged to him, Christ laid aside his rights for the sake of others who were weaker than himself. For the sake of the church. Our attitude toward each other in the church is, is, is again, is not to be one of bare toleration. For Christ does not barely tolerate you. His love for his own weak and helpless sheep is active, searching, and engaging. And this should, this should mark our love, but, but, but even with the proper affections, we are still in need of endurance. We still need patience to be engaged in a meaningful relationship with fellow redeemed sinners. It's far easier to disregard the opinions and scruples of others and to just carry on our own merry little way to treat them as merely annoyances to be ignored. We need God to give us an enduring and encouraging love. Every church needs such prayers as the apostle offers up here. And so let's pray, trusting that the Lord will hold us up in our weakness, even as we seek to hold one another up in each other's weaknesses. Surely this will promote and preserve the unity of the church. And we will find in this unity the purpose which, for all things which were made, as we'll see in verse 6, a purpose greater than just making each other feel good about each other. When our hearts are together molded by God, directed towards his goals, his aims, his emphases, we manifest the very thing which brings every believer the greatest delight, the very glory of God. One person giving glory to God is great, but how much greater is it when the whole company of the saints lifts their voices together in one voice, as the text says, to praise their living God? 
when the glory of God becomes our proper end and not the prideful pleasing of self, then we can obtain the unity of the faith. Then we look more like Christ, who in everything glorified the Father. Lastly, in verse 7, Paul returns back to his exhortation to provide kind of the final turn of the screw in his argument. Kind of up to this point in the chapter, Jesus Christ has has been held up as, as a model for all Christians to follow as they deal with their brothers in the Lord. But now as he addresses this, this covenant community, he, he makes it very, very personal. Look at verse 7 one more time. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Christ has not only demonstrated his humility and love for, for some uh, for some unknown group. He's not just given an example for, for some vague idea of the church. No, he has demonstrated his patient, forbearing, proactive love for us. He is our example in loving the weak, yes, but he is also our personal motivation, we might say. He he has not only done it for some other group, he's done it for us. He's done it for you. He's done it for me. For no matter what category you find yourself in, in any situation you ever find yourself in, whether it be you are the strong one, you have a better understanding of what Scripture is saying, or whether you are the weak one, you're struggling to to give up something. You're struggling to, to, to give up something that you hold so important, but... It doesn't matter, regardless, regardless of which category you find yourself in, strong, weak, mature, immature, no matter what issue becomes the source of our struggle and conflict, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Word made flesh, God of God and light of light, the author and perfecter of our faith, he welcomes you. He welcomes you. In faith, You are his friend. Though you and all those in this and every church are filled to the brim with weaknesses and imperfections, even still Christ laid down his rights for you and for every weak one among his people. As our catechism says, he laid down his heavenly glory to be Born in a lowly condition, suffering the miseries of this life, enduring the wrath of God, the cursed death of the cross, and subjected himself to death for a time. And why did he do this? So that you could be redeemed, so that you could be welcomed, accepted by God. So that in the end, God would be glorified in carrying the weak, like you and like me. Christ sacrificed himself. He gave of what was his for you in order to bring God glory. Are you willing to do the same for another? No doubt these kinds of issues can get messy. They require time, effort, wisdom, and discernment. But this is exactly what we, as those who follow Christ, this is exactly what we're called to. 
Christ does not reject you for your failings. And so as Christ has richly, warmly, patiently, and freely welcomed and befriended you, so also welcome one another. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that Christ's example is beyond our abilities. We confess our desperate need of prayers like Paul's. We confess our desperate need of your Holy Spirit to come and and work in our hearts, to change our hearts, to, to soften us towards those we find repulsive to those we find distasteful, to those even within the church that we don't like to sit next to, that we don't like to share a meal with, those that we've judged with a harsher judgment than you have. Father, we need your help. Each and every one of us, we need your help, Lord. For we are filled with weakness. And our desires are so very often self-centered, self-promoting and we can act so self-righteously. Father, help us be like Christ. Help us love and welcome one another. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.